You're listening to the Manchester Vineyard Podcast. We'd love for you to join us. To discover more about who we are, where we meet, and how you can connect with us, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description. Hello everyone, my name's Alice and I am here in beautiful Cardiff in wonderful Wales. My husband Matt and I, we are the associate pastors here at Vineyard Church Cardiff. And you know, it is a joy and a privilege to be able to share some thoughts with you today. I think we'd all agree that the past 18 months have been hugely difficult and full of loss and suffering on a global scale. And you know what? In times of suffering, the human heart cries out. And I think it's really important for us as followers of Jesus to stop and listen to what have been some of the heart cries during this time. There has obviously been the heart cry of lament, you know, of sorrow and grief. There's been the heart cry of loneliness and despair. And there has been a heart cry for justice, of seeing where things are not as they should be, and a cry for change. I think of the murder of George Floyd and all that this has meant, a cry for change. I think of the murder of Sarah Everard and the, and the vigils that followed, a cry for change. I think of child food poverty in this country and the voice of Marcus Rashford leading the cry for change. I think of the disparity of the vaccine rollout between the wealthiest and poorest nations, a cry for change. And as this nation and beyond cries out for justice, for change, there is a moment, I believe, for us as followers of Jesus to speak out, to rise up and declare that our God is a God of justice. It matters to him when things aren't right. And as I've been thinking about this, I've been led to go back through the Bible and look at passages that declare that God is a God of justice. And this theme runs right through the whole of scripture. The Bible makes it clear that not only is our God a God of justice, but that we as followers of Jesus should be a people of justice too. And I could pick a number of different passages to look at as we think about this theme, but I'm gonna be looking at Amos chapter five today. A little bit of background to the book. Um, at this point in their history, the nation of Israel have come into a time of success and prosperity and they've won lots of battles, they've amassed loads of wealth. And here they are, they are full of arrogance and pride. You know, the people see this wealth as, as, and this prosperity as a sign of God's blessing and favour. They think that Israel is being restored to its former glory as a nation of importance and wealth and happiness. But as we'll see, they are severely misguided. They are totally off track. The reality was they are worshipping idols, not God. And their wealth has been amassed by the exploitation and oppression of the poor. So enter, enter Amos. He is a shepherd from Judah. And at this point, this was a separate country. And he is called by God to cross over the border into Israel to tell them how misguided they are, that God is far from pleased with them, that this prosperity is definitely not a sign of his blessing and that Israel was not being restored to its former glory but was about to be totally destroyed. Can you imagine having to go and give that message? Not a popular message to give I would assume, not one that people would have wanted to hear but it turns out he was totally spot on. You know some 30 years after prophesying this the Assyrian army marches in to Israel and the nation is totally destroyed. So let's jump into the chapter and as I read it, listen out for the Lord's heart cry for justice, a heart cry for change for the poor and the oppressed. We're going to start in verse 10. 
There are those who hate the one who upholds justice in court and detest the one who tells the truth. You levy a straw tax on the poor and impose a tax on their grain. Therefore, though you have built stone mansions, you will not live in them. Though you have planted lush vineyards, you will not drink their wine. For I know how many are your offences and how great your sins. There are those who oppress the innocent and take bribes and deprive the poor of justice in the courts. I'll just pause there. The we read the people are oppressing the poor. They're taxing them heavily to make themselves all the more wealthy. And the court system, it says, is full of bribery, which means that there's no protection for the most vulnerable against the most powerful. The whole system is rotten to the core. Injustice is rife. So the Lord speaks and says, the houses that you've built, you're not going to live in them. The vineyards that you've planted, you won't enjoy them. And let's pick it back up in verse 21. It says this, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps, but let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never failing stream. There's two key words in this chapter, justice and righteousness. And as you look through scripture, you'll see they often come as a pair together. Earlier in this chapter, in verse seven, it says this, there are those who turn justice into bitterness. You know, they've turned it sour. Like think of milk that's gone off. Ooh, gross, you know. And they, they've cast righteousness to the ground. You know, they've just totally trampled all over it. Think of those images that we've seen um, of rubbish that's just been chucked on the floor after a big outdoor gathering. You know, righteousness, likewise, has just been totally disregarded. And then in verse 24, which I just read, God commands that instead justice should roll like a river. Righteousness should run like flowing water. And let's just think for a moment about those two words, justice and righteousness. You know, righteousness is one of those words that we often think of in quite a narrow sense, I think. Righteousness in Hebrew is the word sadako, and it has a fuller meaning. It's about this idea of being in right relationships with one another. Scripture tells us that having been made right with God because of Jesus' death and resurrection on the cross, that we are called to live righteously, making relationships right with one another. At the heart of Sadaka is this fundamental truth that we read in Genesis 1.24, that we have all been made in the image of God and that we need to relate to one another with this high value in mind. You know, here in Cardiff, we've partnered with a national charity called Green Pastures um, to buy a house for men who are either um, who have either been homeless or vulnerably housed. And the team here, they support these residents and they work closely with them to help them move forward with their lives. And when we first got the house and the team set about to decorating it, um, they were committed. They were clear right from the beginning that this house needed to be so nice that they would want to live in it themselves. And you know what it is? This house is beautiful. And every guy, every person that has moved into this house so far to live there has been blown away as they've walked through the door. As they've walked into this gorgeous house and they've seen what this says about their value and their worth. Living righteously is about seeing people, seeing this value in people and treating them with this in mind. Just think about that for a minute in your own life. Do you treat people righteously? with the understanding that they are made in God's image and are therefore deeply valuable. Righteousness. And then justice. Justice is the Hebrew word mishpat. And it's used in the Bible sometimes to talk about retributive justice, you know, punishment for doing wrong. 
but more often it's used in a fuller sense to think about restorative justice. You know, not just punishment for wrong, but making things right. Bringing change to create righteousness. That's how they link together. Seeing where people are not being treated as if they are made in God's image and putting that right. That's what biblical justice is. Now, social theory speaks about this concept of othering. Othering is a social construction that's been used over centuries by people to try and create emotional distance between themselves and a particular people group. And this is done in order to try to justify the injustice being done to that other people group. You know, it's different for them. They're not like us. Let me be clear, the Bible does not allow for this. Jesus challenges this very concept in the story of the Good Samaritan, where he makes the Samaritan the other in the story, the hero. We are all made in God's image. There is to be no other. And it is an act of injustice to see it any other way. Justice and righteousness. And as we read here, it is in God's heart that these two things are bound. You know, let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never failing stream. So if justice is at the heart of God, the king, then justice we see is at the heart of the kingdom. You know, God's purposes being worked out here on earth. You know, Jesus made this clear from the get-go. Just think of the moment, if you know it, when Jesus marches in to the synagogue at the beginning of his ministry and he declared his kingdom mission. And he quoted from the Old Testament, from the book of Isaiah, chapter 61. And he says this, The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. Justice was at the heart of the kingdom mission of Jesus. And Jesus, until the day he died, challenged the injustice he saw around him, speaking up for the powerless and oppressed people of that day. You know, women, children, the poor, disabled, people from different cultures and from different heritage. And he restored to them their importance as people made in the image of God. Justice is part of the kingdom mission that we are invited into as his disciples. Justice is at the heart of the kingdom. Now, the danger is at this point, you are listening and you're nodding along and you're like, yes, 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 this is a really important issue. (laughs) But then we end up still sidelining it and seeing this as an add-on, you know, like an optional seminar at a conference for those of us that like social issues. But in reality, passages like this one, I'm in a multitude more throughout the Bible, they don't let us do this. It's all interlinked. Do you see that? It's right at the heart of us understanding who God is and what he has done for us. Justice is at the heart of the kingdom and justice is at the heart of our story. You know, the kingdom work of Jesus in our own lives. Just think for a minute of the story of the people of Israel. You know, this was a nation whose ancestors had been deeply oppressed, had suffered huge amounts of injustice as slaves under the Egyptians. And if you know the story in Exodus, God swoops in and he delivers them from their oppressors. That was their redemptive story. You know, right at the centre of their identity as a nation was this theme that their God was a God of justice. And that's why God is so angry here. You know, the hypocrisy of a people who had once been oppressed becoming the oppressors. Their lack of justice shows that they have forgotten who they are and who God is. They have forgotten their redemptive story. 
their kingdom story. Let us not forget our redemptive story, that we have a God who has overcome the oppressor, the enemy. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we are set free from our sin. That Jesus became unrighteousness for our sake so that we could be righteous before God, that we could be in right relationship with him. That is a story of pure grace and it should change us from the inside out. Tim Keller says this, an encounter with his grace inevitably leads to a life of justice. Inevitably. It's like an output. Uh, it's an output of understanding our story of grace, of the kingdom work of Jesus in our own lives. And God seems to make it clear that we can't claim to have any understanding of him, of his heart, of his priorities, and not get this. And if we don't get this, then maybe it's like a warning sign, like on a dashboard of a car, you know, that we've missed him altogether. And not just that we've missed him, but that our hearts are worshipping something else. You know, justice is at the heart of the kingdom. Justice is at the heart of our story. And justice is to be at the heart of our worship as we respond. Let's just look back in the passage, verse 21. I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. We see here that their token worship of God is deeply misguided. God will not be fooled by their empty religious offerings when their hearts are elsewhere. He hears the cry of the poor louder than any token worship they have to offer. They look nothing like the God they say they worship because they are actually worshipping something else. And these two things, idol worship and injustice, they come side by side here in this chapter. They are making something else God and this is corrupting their hearts, leading them to commit great injustices. Are you worshipping something else? Is that causing your heart to be hardened towards others? You know, I'll never forget um, a few years ago, my husband and I, Matt and I, we were driving home from church one Sunday morning and we were driving right through the city centre to get back home and we'd stopped at some traffic lights. And I had my kids in the back and my eldest son was probably about three years old then. And he suddenly, his voice kind of piped up from the back and he suddenly said, Mummy, why is that man just sitting in the doorway over there? And I looked out my window and yes, sure enough, I saw a man, a homeless man in a dreadful state, just kind of stooped, slumped in a doorway just um, across the road from our car. And I turned around and I said to my son, you know what, darling, that man is homeless. He's not got anywhere to live. He sleeps on the street. You know, he sleeps rough there every night. And I will never forget the look on my son's face as he heard that. He was absolutely mortified. He was so upset that the blood just drained from his face as he took that in, as his little heart said, that is not okay. And you know what? As I saw his reaction, I just became aware that in that moment, my son's heart was reflecting the heart of the Lord. That in that moment, his heart was close. There was a closer reflection of God's heart than mine. You know, I'd just been at church all morning. I'd worship my socks off. But in that moment, his, my son's heart was broken in a way that mine wasn't, that my heart had become hardened. And as I saw that, it was a moment for me, for my heart, to repent, to say, Lord, break my heart again for this. This is not okay that this man lives, has to live like that. 
And you know, as we look at the heart of God for this, as we think about his call on our lives to be a people that bring kingdom justice, for many of us, we will need to start with a heart response, you know, a turning back, a time of repentance. That's what Amos is doing here. He's calling the people of God to repent, to come back to their first love. Maybe that's the first step for you to repent of where you might be worshipping something else and therefore becoming hard-hearted. Come back to your first love. Ask God to show you how he sees people. Sit under his grace, you know, receive his forgiveness. This stuff isn't law, you know, it begins with grace. Don't let guilt be a motivation here. That will get you nowhere. Instead, be encouraged. This is something that we get to do. You know, grace turns this from being something that we have to do into into being something that we get to do. And that makes all the difference. How amazing is it that this stuff matters to God? Imagine if we had a God who didn't care about this stuff. You know, if we lived with this worldview that some people mattered and some people don't. What an awful way to live. I love that this is what God is about and that we get to do this. And you know, as many people in our culture let out this heart cry for justice in this current moment, I love that we get to say that this is right at the heart of who God is. This is the God that we worship and we love and adore. So it starts with a heart response from us and then we act. You know, what starts with the heart always leads to action. Now, this might feel a bit overwhelming at this point. It's hard to know where to start. And we can also feel a bit removed at times. It was perhaps more obvious in Amos's time where injustice was directly happening in front of them. You know, the bribery that was happening in the court system was literally happening there at the gates of the city, where issues would be brought to local judges sitting at these gates and they would decide what was justice and what wasn't in that moment. And of course, it was open to bribery. That's not always the case for us. You know, we're not always right there at the coalface of injustice. We can feel a bit removed and overwhelmed at the same time. And that means we really don't do anything, you know. Let me start with a reassurance if that's how you're feeling. This stuff is worked out over a lifetime, you know? The reality is that living a life of justice is a call to a self-giving way of life, a radical commitment to preferring others. This is a lifetime worked out step by step with Jesus as his disciple. So it's worked out over a lifetime, but of course, a lifetime starts now. A lifetime of choosing to confront injustice in our day-to-day lives can start today. You know, by making choices like what clothes we buy, how we run our businesses, choosing to call out racism or hate speech when we hear it, making decisions that look after our planet, choosing who you bank with, you know, where you invest your money. I could keep going on. All these decisions are inconvenient or uncomfortable or both. But that's what it takes. That's what a call to a deep self-giving life looks like. Discipleship. And as a fellow disciple of Jesus, let me be clear, like I am on a journey with this too, you know. I'm still working out what this looks like in my life. Let me ask you this. What decision could you make today to act more justly? So there is this calling on all of us to make choices that confront justice in our day-to-day lives. But for some, perhaps many of us, I believe there is a calling to confront a particular area of injustice for the rest of our lives. You know, I believe that the Lord burdens individuals with individual uh, issues of justice for us to then give our lifetime to, you know, a wrong that our heart just burns to see put right. You know, like Amos, who could bear the injustice he saw happening against the poor no longer, and he marches from Judah to Israel to take a stand. You know, one brave man, one huge decision to take a stand against injustice and make a difference. 
Well, just this week, I read about a lady called Jessie Donaldson from right here in Wales and Swansea, and she was an anti-slavery campaigner. And in 1854, she moved out to Ohio in the US, and she set up a safe house for slaves that were freeing slave, uh, fleeing slavery from the Deep South. And her lifetime's work has only recently been discovered and honoured here in Wales. One big decision by one brave lady to take a stand against injustice and make a difference. Or in our church, there is this amazing bunch of people who pour themselves out for the refugees and asylum seekers in our city, who fight to make sure their voices are heard, who help them find work, help them find school uniforms for their kids, help them with their housing and with their benefits. They even give them driving lessons, who say, no, these people will not be othered. They matter and they are important. Big decisions by a brave group of Jesus followers to take a stand against injustice and make a difference. Has the Lord put a certain area of injustice on your heart, something that your heart just burns for? And maybe in this season of COVID, it's meant that you've put this on the back burner. Maybe your step today is to ask him, Lord, what would you have me do with this burden that you've put on my heart? How are you, acting? How are you asking me to act justly? Our God is a God of justice. It matters to him that people are treated with value. What a God we follow and worship. And as a people that get to advance his kingdom here on earth, we are called to bring justice and righteousness wherever we go. I just want to finish by praying verse 24 over us um, as a prophetic act. Let justice roll on like a river, justice like a never failing stream. Thanks for listening. To find out more, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description.